0: This is the Roast and Reason podcast. Join your host, Andrew Boyer, as we explore the world of specialty coffee. So grab a cup of your favorite coffee, and let's dive in. Welcome to Roast and Reason. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Roast and Reason podcast Thank you guys for joining me for another episode, and thanks for tuning in to part three of our series about coffee and your health. In today's episode, we're going to focus on coffee's impact on performance rather than specific diseases. We're going to start with the brain and cognitive and mental function, how coffee and, and specifically caffeine impacts the brain. And then we're going to discuss recent research on coffee's impact on the performance of your body. So physical performance and exercise. And the effects on our brain and body that we're going to discuss today have to do with caffeine. This will not always be the case in this Coffee and Your Health series. Just like we talked about last week when it came to coffee and cancer... A lot of the other chemical compounds in coffee, other than caffeine, things like antioxidants, are responsible for many of the health benefits of coffee. Not so with today's episode. So today we're really going to focus on caffeine. Because when it comes to improved performance, things that we typically think of when we think of the effect of coffee, things like helping us Feel more awake, more alert, more attentive, and changes in exercise. That is caffeine. So we're really talking about caffeine today. And humans have consumed coffee predominantly for the effects that we're going to talk about in this episode. So its effects on attention and mood and mental function long before we knew anything about the mechanism behind these changes, or even that caffeine was the major chemical at play here. We knew about these changes before we even knew that caffeine was a molecule or that molecules at all existed. And one of the most popular myths about the origin of coffee reflects this, reflects that we knew of these changes. So this myth goes something like this. Once upon a time, there was an Ethiopian goat herder. His name was Kaldi. Kaldi was a bit of a dreamer, and he basically sucked at being a goat herder. He preferred to walk around and wander the hillsides of where he lived in Ethiopia, playing his flute. He basically let his goats do whatever they wanted and wander around and do whatever goats do. Because Caldi really wanted to practice his poetry and play his flute. And one evening, when his goats were out, Caldi tried to call his goats back to him. And they didn't come. Despite the fact that they basically always came back to him. But this night, they did not come. So, he wandered around trying to find his goats. And eventually, he found them. And when he did, they were acting very, very strangely. So they were dancing on their hind legs, they were going crazy, they were screaming, all while they were eating leaves and berries from this plant that looked kind of like a half bush, half tree, with red berries on it. It turns out, according to this myth, that Kaldi and his goats had discovered coffee. When Kaldi tried the leaves and the berries from this tree that his goats were eating, he experienced mental clarity, better attention, he wasn't tired anymore, and he had increased happiness. He even went so far as to say that he felt like he would never be depressed again. Now, was coffee actually discovered by Caldi and his goats? Probably not. But that doesn't really matter. It's kind of a cool story. Also, our friend Caldi had no idea that caffeine was the chemical that was causing all of these changes. But that doesn't matter either. So regardless of who actually discovered coffee, we do know that it started and originated in Ethiopia. And we know that the Ethiopians consumed it differently than we do today, and also for these benefits. So traditional coffee consumed in Ethiopia way back in history was actually by eating berries, chewing on the leaves, and making tea from dried berries. It wasn't roasting coffee like we know it today. But even at the very start of human coffee consumption, the primary reason why they ate the berries and chewed the leaves was the changes in our brain and our mental function, the decreased sleepiness, the increased attention. So caffeine is really one of the oldest and most powerful mental and biohacks that there is. So now, fast forward, it's 2018, and we know what the caffeine molecule looks like. We know that the caffeine molecule exists, and we also know what it does to our brains for the most part. Our brains are these really, really complex things that are made up of of cells. Brain cells, which are called neurons, and other cells called glial cells. The glial cells basically provide the infrastructure and support the neurons. And everything that happens in our brains, from thinking, memory, feeling, the ability to move your arm on command the ability to feel someone touching you, even down to the things that we don't think about, controlling your heart beating, breathing without you thinking about it. All of this is caused by this really complex interplay between cells, between the brain cells and the glial cells, between the supporting matrix, the molecules within the brain, chemicals called neurotransmitters. And neurotransmitters are are signaling molecules in the brain. They're kind of like the hormones of the brain where hormones signal things throughout the rest of our body. Neurotransmitters signal things in the brain and electrical currents in the brain as well. This is one crazy complex organ that to be totally honest with you, we still don't understand very well. But we do understand the brain a whole hell of a lot better than they did in Kaldi's time when they first discovered coffee. So brain cells or neurons signal between each other. That's basically how everything in the brain happens, from memory um, to thinking to movement to sensation. It's all this signaling between brain cells. And they do this with chemicals called neurotransmitters. And they're are a handful of different neurotransmitters. One of them is called adenosine. And that is really where the story of the caffeine molecule's effect on our brain is focused. The caffeine molecule decreases the effectiveness of adenosine in the brain by competing with adenosine for its binding sites. So at multiple areas of the brain there are these binding sites that adenosine binds to. And it's kind of like a key going into a lock with the lock being the binding site and the key being adenosine. So the right key and the right lock has a result, has an effect. And so caffeine comes around and basically jams that lock. So the caffeine molecule, or sorry, the adenosine molecule can't fit into it and have its effect on the brain. So that brings up the question, what does adenosine normally do in the brain? Adenosine has a a direct effect on our attention, alertness, and sleep. So basically in the morning, after a good night's sleep, our adenosine levels in the brain are, are very, very low. And throughout the day, adenosine levels in the brain rise. So adenosine gives you the signal that, hey, I'm feeling kind of run down. I'm feeling sleepy. It decreases your alertness. So caffeine's effect, by blocking adenosine, it keeps you from falling asleep. It keeps you awake, alert, and ready to function at your best. And that's the main reason why, why humans have been consuming coffee for hundreds of years. By blocking adenosine, caffeine also has several other effects. It increases or upregulates a few other neurotransmitters, namely glutamate and dopamine. Increased levels of both of these chemicals results in a surge of energy, improved mental performance, and it actually increased glutamate levels actually slows age-related mental decline. And then there's one more that caffeine affects, one more neurotransmitter, and this one is called serotonin. You might have heard of serotonin. It's otherwise known as the happy neurotransmitter. Most antidepressant medications work by increasing the levels of serotonin. So as a quick preview into next week's episode, where we're going to talk about coffee and brain health and one of the topics we're going to talk about is depression yes there are studies that show that coffee and consumption makes us happier and it can prevent depression so is everybody still with me I was I was actually a, a neuroscience major in college so I love this stuff I love talking about neurotransmitters and electrical signaling in the brain but let's Let's kind of boil this down and talk about what all of this means at a practical level. There are numerous studies out there that have demonstrated that consuming caffeinated coffee, and again, we're really talking about the caffeine molecule, which also means you can get these effects by just taking a caffeine pill or by drinking other things or consuming other things that have caffeine in it. This isn't just related to coffee. But consuming caffeinated coffee in, improves mental performance on several different tasks on thinking, reasoning, and attention tasks. Studies also show that caffeine improves learning by about 10%. So, really, coffee and the caffeine molecule improves your mental performance across many different levels. But we basically already knew that, right? That's if you're drinking coffee, that's probably why you started drinking coffee to help you wake up in the morning, to help you function better, to help you maybe do better at your job or in school. But what about physical performance? Can we consider coffee or caffeine a performance enhancing drug? And it turns out that it actually just might be. There are numerous scientific studies over the past several decades that have looked at coffee consumption or caffeine intake on exercise. And I say it this way on purpose. Because some studies have looked at coffee. For instance, they'll take some people and give them caffeinated coffee before their workout or normal coffee. And as a control, they will give other people decaf coffee. And we all know that decaf is not real coffee, right? I don't need to explain that to you. But other studies in this research field give people either a caffeine pill or a placebo sugar pill. So that's why I say coffee or caffeine consumption. And much like mental performance... The main substance that we're talking about when it comes to physical performance and exercise is caffeine. It's not the antioxidants or other chemicals in coffee that really have an impact on other areas of health that we're going to talk about in the upcoming weeks. I'm going to evaluate and break down briefly for you guys what the studies on exercise and caffeine consumption tell us. And here's how I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna look at two different types of exercise, right? Because not all exercise is the same thing. We all know that running a marathon is very, very different and places very, very different demands on the body than doing something like a 15 minute AMRAP at a CrossFit box or weightlifting or racing a Super G skiing race. They're all very different, right? So how does coffee affect different types of exercises? And I'm going to focus on two main categories, endurance and strength. So those are the two main things that we're going to look at when it comes to what the research tells us about coffee and exercise. And within each of these two main categories, I'm also going to briefly cover the mechanisms that caffeine has to affect exercise output. And before we get into both of these categories, it might help to start with a brief discussion of how our muscles get fuel to burn during exercise. And I'm going to keep this brief and simplified. Basically, when we first start a workout, the first fuel that we burn is a substance called glycogen, which is for the most part, stored in our muscles. It's basically a sugar molecule or glucose that's stored within our muscles. Glycogen is easily available, and it's really easy to burn. So during very fast exercises like a sprint or high-intensity interval training, glycogen is either going to be the only fuel source burned Or the predominant fuel source burned. But several minutes into exercise, so as we transition from those very rapid exercises to more endurance, several minutes in, a transition happens. Our muscles start transitioning from burning glycogen as fuel to using fat as fuel. And this transition isn't like flipping a switch. It's not on off. It's not, hey, I'm burning glycogen and up oh, next second later, I'm burning fat. It's a gradual transition. One important distinction to make here. Burning glycogen is easy and it does not require oxygen to be present within the cells. But burning fat is much more difficult and it requires oxygen. It's called an aerobic reaction. So just like aerobic exercise, an aerobic reaction means that it requires oxygen. A reaction that does not need oxygen is called anaerobic. So burning glycogen is an anaerobic reaction, fuel source. Burning fat is an aerobic reaction reaction. And this is this is important and this we'll come back to this later. If if you've ever if you've ever wondered why when you're working out you start breathing a lot faster, this is why. Our body and specifically our muscles start demanding a lot more oxygen so that we can burn fat as fuel. And so our body sends us that signal and we start breathing more to deliver more oxygen to our cells. This transition from glycogen to fat as an energy source affects your exercise endurance. So the better you and your muscles are at this, the more endurance you have, the harder and longer you can work out. And training or repeat exercise makes our muscles better at this. So athletes that train more rather than a weekend warrior or a couch potato, condition their muscles to be better at this. And that's why they can run for longer or faster or harder. As a generalization, our muscles use fat as fuel more during endurance activities. So things like running or biking or hiking, cross-country skiing basically things that last longer than about 20 minutes. The shorter-term activities like sprinting, strength exercises, or quick, high-intensity activities tend to use glycogen more than fat. So that was a simplification. If any of you listening are exercise physiologists, I'm sure I've glossed over a lot, but I want to keep things simplified and relevant to what we're gonna talk about in terms of caffeine's effect. So let's start with endurance exercise and let's look at what some of the research tells us. There's one specific research study where they studied participants on a stationary bike for 60 minutes. So they had them ride for 60 minutes. This is not all out, balls to the wall activity. You need to ride on a stationary bike for 60 minutes. So it's pacing yourself. About an hour prior to exercise, the participants drank either coffee or decaf coffee, which was basically the control. Then these researchers looked at a whole number of physiologic measurements of the body. So they looked at heart rate. They looked at oxygen uptake blood lactate level or lactic acid level, different different names for the same thing. And lactic acid is generated during exercise. And there's quite a bit of misconception about lactic acid. It was originally thought to just be a byproduct and basically what caused your muscles to get sore. But it actually turns out that lactic acid in and of itself is a fuel source Um, So regardless of what it actually is, lactic acid levels are a sign of how hard your body is working, how hard your muscles are working, and specifically how much your muscles are running on anaerobic mode or functioning without oxygen. These researchers looked at something else that's very interesting. They, They asked participants to rate how hard they thought Their exercise was so how much they thought they were exerting themselves and here's what they found the people who drank coffee with caffeine versus decaf so the caffeinated participants felt like the same exact exercise was easier than those who drank decaf coffee all of the other physiologic measurements that they looked at were the same between the two groups However, several other studies actually show physiologic changes related to caffeine. So the the research here is a bit mixed, to be totally honest. One other study that I'll point to had research subjects do a 1,500-meter run on a treadmill after they gave them either coffee or decaf coffee. The results of the show study actually do show a physiologic response and they showed that caffeine increases something that's called VO2 max, which is otherwise known as the maximal oxygen uptake. So VO2 max is a commonly measured thing uh, in exercise physiology and it's something that serves as a pretty good indicator for, an athlete's cardiovascular fitness and aerobic endurance. So basically a higher VO2 max means that you can exercise for longer and harder without fatiguing as quickly. It basically means that your body is able to supply your muscles with more oxygen. And remember that efficiently burning fat as fuel requires that oxygen. So more oxygen uptake means that you are a better fat burner in your muscles basically means you can exercise for longer and harder these researchers also found a noticeable difference in the performance of these different subjects the people who drank coffee finished the 1500 meter run significantly faster and right near the finish line they had them sprint as as hard as they could. So the caffeinated participants had a faster finishing burst at the finish line than those who drank decaf coffee. Other studies show that caffeine has a additional physiologic or chemical effect on the body. So caffeine increases what's called the sympathetic nervous system. And it increases a hormone called epinephrine. The other name for epinephrine is adrenaline. That's the common name for it. So it changes the physiology and specifically our exercise physiology. Epinephrine does a couple things. The first thing it does is it increases muscle recruitment. Which basically means that our muscles are more effective and are actually stronger. So more fibers get... uh, recruited and stimulated when you try to flex your muscle or use your muscles. Epinephrine also alters how our bodies burn different things as fuel. Remember that the better our muscles are at that transition from glycogen to fat, the better endurance we have, right? That's what training does. It makes us better at that transition. Well, caffeine due to its increase in epinephrine, actually makes this process happen faster and helps your muscles burn fat more efficiently. And the end result here is improved performance and better exercise endurance before you hit that wall. There are a ton more studies out there. I'm not going to go into specific other studies. Uh, Those are kind of the collection of findings related to endurance activities. So what the whole body of research shows is that caffeine actually improves endurance activities. It allows us to run faster or longer or bike faster or longer. And the possible mechanisms related to endurance activities include, first of all, Just maybe a decreased perception of how difficult the workout is. Increased muscle recruitment and better utilization of fat as fuel through several different mechanisms potentially related to epinephrine or the adrenaline hormone and also related to better oxygen uptake in that VO2 max thing that we talked about. I mentioned that we were going to talk about two main categories of exercise endurance, and strength activities. Do we see similar changes with strength strength exercises? What does the research tell us? So one study on strength and caffeine examined a number of strength activities. They looked at bench press, deadlift, prone row, and back squats. And they compared people who they gave a caffeine pill and people that they gave a placebo. The caffeine-enhanced subjects were able to work out harder and longer. So what they did is they asked these people to do these exercises until they couldn't do it anymore. So until failure. And the people with caffeine on board were able to complete significantly greater repetitions until failure in every single one of these exercises that they looked at. Similar to one of the endurance research studies, these researchers also asked the subjects to rate their perceived exertion, so how hard they thought the workout was. A common theme here, team caffeine reported significantly lower levels of exertion and muscle pain compared to the people that did not have caffeine on board. So let's talk about the possible mechanisms here. And this is by no means the only research study on strength or sprint-like training and caffeine. And the results are similar, so I'm not going to spend time going into every single one. But let's talk about the mechanisms. Because first of all, the improved fat burning and better utilization of fat as fuel that we talked about with endurance activities really doesn't come into play here. Because as we talked about, strength training, and high-intensity activities don't really rely on fat as fuel as much. You're more in the glycogen-burning stage there. So there's probably got to be some other mechanisms, and there are. And some of it, frankly, may just be in our head, both for strength training and for endurance training. And what I mean by that is if you feel like an exercise is easier and you're not exerting yourself as much, you're probably going to push harder. You're going to be able to run longer, or work out more, or lift more weights, or do more reps. And the effect may be related to a lot of the changes in neurotransmitters that we talked about earlier in the episode. How caffeine blocks adenosine and increases glutamate and dopamine and serotonin. That right there, probably has a lot to do with decreased sensation that you're working as hard. The other mechanism related to strength training is we talked about increased muscle recruitment by a surge of epinephrine levels. That's going to make your strength training a whole lot more effective. So now that we know what the research shows, if you wanted to develop a protocol about drinking caffeine before exercise? How would you go about doing that? And just to be clear, I don't do this. Um, I drink coffee in the morning because I like to drink coffee. I don't drink it to give me a slight edge as a physical performance standpoint. But I'm also not a professional athlete where just a very, very slight edge might be the difference between winning and losing. So... If you are and you want to try this and you want to develop a protocol, how would you go about doing that? So first of all, step number one is timing. And for optimal effect, it takes about an hour for caffeine to kick in. So in terms of when you would want to drink coffee before exercise, about a a full hour beforehand is what you want to target. Studies show that both In endurance and strength training, coffee improves exercise performance in both daily coffee drinkers and people who don't consume coffee habitually or daily. But this effect is greater in people who don't drink coffee daily. So the effect on exercise is strongest if you actually stop drinking coffee for about seven days prior to your event or anything with caffeine in it. That sounds freaking awful. But again, if you're looking for that slight edge, that makes a difference. And so you might want to hold off for seven days beforehand and then drink just on the morning of your event. And finally, let's talk about the optimal dose. The optimal dose of caffeine for exercise is about three to six milligrams per kilogram of body weight per day. This is not something where... More is necessarily better if you go above this, you run the risk of feeling jittery or having palpitations or fast heart race racing heart rate. so it's not a more is better thing, really. the optimal dose is this three to six milligrams per kilogram of body weight dose. So for all of you Americans out there, how to figure this out? is you take your weight in pounds and divide it by 2.2. That'll give you your weight in kilograms. Then you multiply by 3 for the 3 to 6 milligrams per kilogram to get your caffeine dose. And the caffeine content differs between different types of coffee. But on average, the average cup of coffee has about 90 milligrams of caffeine in it. So let's... Do this as an example. I weigh about 170 pounds. Divide that by 2.2, that's about 77 kilograms. Multiply it by three, and I get 231 milligrams of caffeine as my optimal intake for exercise performance. So if I wanted to do this, what I would do is I would drink two and a half cups of coffee, and that would give me my optimal Uh, caffeine intake before exercise. So that's all I've got for you today, and let's recap a little bit. Coffee mostly through caffeine actually does have a measurable impact and benefit on both our mental performance and, it turns out, our physical performance. Our mental performance, it keeps us alert more it makes us feel less sleepy. It actually improves memory and learning tasks and exercises. And when it comes to physical activity, it allows us to work out harder and longer in both strength and endurance exercises. I hope, you, I hope you guys found this really interesting. I found it fascinating to put this together. I had actually no idea of what I would find when I started researching, uh, caffeine and coffee's effect on exercise. I didn't know any of any of this data before I started researching this episode. So hope you found it interesting. Feel free to reach out to me with any questions or comments. Um, my email is Andrew at roast and reason.com. I respond to every email, uh, also, if you guys are liking this series and liking this podcast, I'd, I'd love it if you would leave a rating and review on iTunes. That would mean the world to me. Um, and I really hope you'll join, uh, join me for our next episode next week where we're going to focus on coffee's impact on your mental health. So not mental performance, but mental health, mental diseases. And the three big ones that we're going to talk about are depression, Alzheimer's disease, and Parkinson's disease. There's some fascinating research on coffee's impact on all three of those things. So I'm really excited to bring you that next week. And I will see you then. Take care, everybody.